and welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Be Uncluttered. I'm Tara Tuttle and with me is Rebecca Mazzino and together we're going to help you on your journey to a life free of clutter. Hi there. Today's episode is the first part of a two-part interview conducted by Tara with Jacinta, someone whose story has a lot of relevance to our recent topic of toxic relationships, as well as our overall theme of the value of stuff. We think that it could be valuable for listeners as there is a lot we can all relate to, even if we haven't had the same journey that Jacinta has had. But first, I'd like to put up a small warning here for listeners because this episode and the one after it discusses an abusive relationship. The abuse is psychological and emotional and does involve children. You can stop listening now to avoid hearing this content if you need to. So I'll leave you now with Tara and Jacinta to tell you her story. So Jacinta, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. And you've got a really interesting story to share, which I think lots of our listeners can get some good value out of. And let's just start way back at the start, at the very beginning. And can you tell me a little bit about your childhood and growing up and what your view of stuff and consumerism and life was like back then when you were younger? Sure. Um, I grew up in a house where money was not really spoken about. I was never aware of my parents' financial position. We never went without, but I never felt like we were wealthy either. We never had really fancy things, never had a brand new car. We had a really simple house and really... The kind of environment that I was in was one where we lived in the house and there was stuff and things around and really it tended to be sort of on the messy side of things. Things had their place and things were clean, but it was certainly not a um, show home presentable um, type of environment. Uh, That was what I was familiar with and that was just normal for me. But you grew up, it was a very loving family and both parents and siblings yes I have an older sister who's who moved out of home when I was 12 so for uh since 12 I've really felt like an only child in my home environment my parents I'm really close with my parents still really close with them both and yeah it's a a very treasured relationship with them so pretty almost textbook type childhood really wouldn't you say yeah nothing too extreme either end Mm -hmm. and I guess so I have known you now for about 20 years I guess and um, met you a little way down your journey late teens I think we were probably when we we first met yep so lead us into what has happened in your life in recent years or in the last 10 years or 15 years that has changed the way that not only that you behave and function but also we'll get to later that What has happened in your life that changed the way that you look at possessions and stuff? Okay, so I met uh, the man I ended up having children with when I was 21 and he came from a very different environment, a very tidy, squeaky clean, everything sorted, organised, like really super organised, immaculate gardens kind of home. So that was his natural environment and I was swiftly retrained 
<laughs> and I really took that on board and saw that as a good thing because th- there is merit to having things tidy and knowing where things are and things have their place. So I I enjoyed that and I do like being in a tidy and an organised environment. Did it create any tension for you two in the in the early days of your relationship if you if your self confessed as being a bit untidy and he's a real neat freak did that create any issues well it created a dynamic of me being told how to do things the right way okay and how did you receive that well at the time I just didn't see anything wrong with that because I actually saw merit in what he was showing me and I think that is something that is a beautiful part of two people coming together from different backgrounds that you find the new the new way of doing things, you know, you don't necessarily just repeat what your parents do. You find your own version of what you're going to do. So initially I didn't have a problem with it, but because we met so young and we had literally nothing when we started, um, there were lots of things that we needed. And it was a case of, you know, you spend a lot of money working on your home, working on the things for the home. And that was great and something that I was definitely on board with in that initial period because you want to have a beautiful home. But that just continued and we never really got out of that initial phase of sinking every bit of money into the house and the stuff and the things. And fortunately, we did match on both being good with money to a degree It's just that as time went on, there became a real difference between what he wanted to spend his money on and what I wanted to spend our money on. Um, And that's where things really started to veer onto two different paths because really it comes down to what are your core values and what do you see as adding value to your life? And for him, it was he really loved shiny new things. And he wanted a really nice car to drive. He wanted the best of everything, all the new, all the new Fandangle things. Um, the first time we got a flat screen TV, I thought we'd like hit jackpot. And God, I don't know how the hell we afforded it at the time, but it was as soon as the flat screen, screen TVs came out, we had one. And then we had another one. And then we had another one. And then we had to replace the first one. And this is all like in four years. And that was a continuing pattern. And this is all while there was a very clear established attitude of we're very poor, we don't have much money, so you need to scrimp and save when you do food shopping and, you you know, we, we don't have money to go out for dinner and we, we certainly cannot go on a holiday, but we always have money for new stuff in the house. So this was an attitude that he was expressing or um, placing onto you But yet, at the same time, you know, replacing things and adding, always adding. Yeah, replacing things that aren't even broken or don't need replacing. There's nothing wrong with or repainting things that are only just repainted and meticulously maintained. Did it come as a surprise to you once this, when this started developing or did you have an inkling that this was his nature? Uh, I knew his nature was certainly the clean freak. In fact, the first time he was ever at my house that I was renting alone while I went out to a work Christmas dinner, he cleaned my house for me. So there should have been a red flag there. <laughs> um, <Wow. laughs> but the I just 
didn't realise that the the constant having to consume new and shiny things all the time, I thought that was just because we were setting ourselves up and that that would yeah. be a phase and then we'd move into a phase of being content and comfortable with that and being able to then spend our time and energy because it's very energy consuming too, maintaining the house, maintaining show home ready. You know, I'd much rather go out and have experiences and I'm happy to scrimp and save. I, I am a savvy food shopper and I, I can go without. I am well accustomed to that and happy to do so if that means we get to go on an amazing holiday at the end of the year or we get to have these amazing experiences together, not just to replace another TV. So that was yeah. where we were just on really different pages and obviously there were other areas that we were on different pages too, but that dynamic really did spiral into uh, it just disintegrated over time and it went from him teaching me the way and us just not being really on the same page to a really toxic dynamic of um, it became a control mechanism basically and I drew an association to his mood and his behaviour to how the house was kept and maintained and what he had and didn't have. So he would, I was working part-time, he was working full-time and there was definitely uh, an undercurrent of who owned what and who had the right to say what we spent money on because he earned more. So was it, was it a real like um, my money is my money and your money is our money? Well, we, ha- we always pulled our money collectively and we were both in charge of seeing, you know, some people just have no idea what the, the finances are doing. We both had access to the account and could see that. But I was uh, instructed to uh, spend like a poor person <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and some of that was actually just a real subliminal message that I chose to interpret that way. Um, and he spent like a rich person. So I would go clothes shopping and be like, oh, man, I don't know if this $20 top, I'm going to love it for like four years to get enough wear out of it. Nah, I won't get it. Whereas he'd just shop, not even looking at the tags, shop, 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 with no regard because, well, then it was up to me to make the money stretch. Yeah, right. And did you ever butt heads about it? Did you ever confront him about his spending behaviour versus your spending behaviour? Yeah, yeah. And he would... So on the, the buying clothes thing, he would say, go buy, go buy clothes, go shopping. Why don't, you, why don't you buy yourself clothes? And it's like it's actually really hard to feel good about spending money on yourself when it feels so self-indulgent and so selfish to buy clothes when, when it's constantly being drilled into you that we have so little. So why would I spend it on frivolous stuff like that? And to give you an indication of like how it's a subliminal thing. So I had said to him, look, I, I, I have not bought sneakers in eight years and I haven't bought jeans in four years and I haven't bought tracksuit pants in about six and they're literally all falling apart. And I said, so over the next, you know, eight weeks or so, I'm just leaving a bit in the, in the you know, everyday spending to build up so that I can go and buy these few core things. I need sneakers, jeans, tracksuit pants, and some some kind of warm jacket for winter. Really basic things. Mm. 
And I was saying this to him so he didn't look at the bank account and go, whoa, I can go and buy another cooking device. And I had said to him um, on the the Monday of this particular week, I said, right, I'm going to go shopping on Friday to get these things. And the next day he got up for work but said, oh, I've taken the day off today. I need to get a few things from the shops. I was working at home. He came back from the shops and he had spent an enormous amount of money. And do you know what he'd bought? Sneakers, jeans, tracksuit pants, two types of tracksuit pants, a jumper and four really expensive work shirts. And he has like 25 work shirts in the the So this was all for him? He wasn't buying sneakers and jeans for you? No. And I just looked at him. It was just so blatantly to buy the exact things that I have just spent all that time just setting aside for and have gone without for like so long. Mm. And I said, well, I was going to go shopping on Friday. I told you that. And he goes, well, go shopping. What's the problem? And I'm like, how do I go shopping with no money? Like you've spent it all. So it's all very well for you to give me permission to spend money on myself, but with what? Mm. Yeah, right. Wow. And was he was he an advocate of credit? Did you ever dive into or you know? No, we didn't have credit cards, thank goodness. Oh, that's good. Mm. So how did this develop then? How did you go from this really toxic kind of situation around money and the acquisition of stuff? How did that how did that develop in years following? Well, I think it it was just such a slow and sl- steady decline, just like the relationship was a slow and steady decline into not being very fun to um, not being in a great place and then towards the end into just such a to- toxic dynamic and it really was. It was not a healthy environment to be in. And it was just lots of mind games. And I can see now that my behaviour was just so conditioned that he didn't even have to say the things anymore. He could just be mad as all hell and I would know what I was in trouble for. And he, the way that it sort of represented itself in the way the house was maintained was there was a very clear mood difference to if he came home from work and walked into a clean and tidy house and all the benches were clear and all the children were playing quietly and everything was done and dinner was prepared but no dishes were left out then that mood would be distinctly different to if he walked in and there was stuff not done and things out on the bench. So I quickly learned that there were certain benches that if there was anything on those benches when he walked in the door, he was in a bad mood. And the list of expectations just grew longer and longer. So each time I mastered the list and I nailed it, because as the children got older, you know, you were capable of of achieving more perfection, there, there were just more things added to the end of the list. And I think there was actually a really pivotal moment when um, uh, my second child had started school and uh, it was, I don't know, eight weeks into school and this particular, like this three-week period, I felt like I was nailing housewife. I was nailing 
the school lunches were awesome, the after-school activities, extracurricular learning, the educational activities that we were doing. The dinners were like not midweek dinners. They were weekend dinners, but I was rocking them out during the week and I was getting all the dishes done. I was having the dinner perfectly timed for being on the table 10 minutes with it, with you know, of him being in the door, um, having all the washing done and just maintaining all, like running myself ragged with this expectation that I was, I felt so keen to achieve for him. I was really wanting to do that for him. And this particular night he came home and everything was done. I'd, ha- I'd cooked a roast Everything was washed as I'd gone and put away. Like nothing was even drying on the drainer because that's a real thing for him. I had washed everything in the washing basket. It had dried because it was an awesome day and I'd folded it and put it away. There was just nothing to be done in the home. He came home. The kids were playing nicely. I said, dinner will be ready. Do you want to go have a shower? Do you want to do your thing? You know, being all what I had in my head as the perfect wife Mm -hmm. and he was like, no, I don't want to have a shower. Like, why would I want to have a shower? I'm like, because mm, that's what you do every night when you get home. That's okay. And uh, said dinner was served. The kids and I are all sitting at the table. We are waiting for him to come. And he's just in the bedroom. I don't even know what he's doing in the bedroom. But he was just in there for ages. And I'm like, are you coming? Like, what's, what's going on? Anyway, he ended up coming out of the bedroom, walking straight past us at the kitchen table, did not look at anybody. And went outside to the shed. And the kids are like, what is dad doing? Like, what? It was just such odd behaviour. Mm-hmm. And I poke my head around the corner to see outside and he's sweeping the backyard. And I'm like, what is he doing? So I poked my head out there and I said, oh, did you hear me before? Like, dinner's on the table. We're all waiting for you. And he goes, I am sweeping up out here. I am doing this for you so that the kids don't bring all these leaves inside so that you don't have to clean the floor. Geez, the things I have to do around here. Wow. And I was just like, ah, right. See, I nailed the list and there's one more thing. Mm -hmm. And if you can't see that your children are sitting at the table waiting to have dinner with you and talk to you as being more important then sweeping the seven leaves that are outside, I'm sorry, we, we, we are just not on the same page here. And that became, that became a pivotal moment where I was just realising that there was no satisfying this man. I was spending an enormous amount of energy, physical and emotional, trying to satisfy his insatiable appetite for achieving this impossible list. And I just stopped and I just realized that I'm not getting anything out of this relationship and I need to, I'm, I'm in trouble anyway. He's mad anyway. I thought it was because I was just not rocking it as a wife, but he's just mad. So I'm just going to do things that work for me. Obviously, you've endured this for a long time and you were just saying that, you know, you decided to make some changes yeah. When you started allowing yourself to stop being controlled by him, how, how did that progress? What happened then? Um, he just upped the ante and upped the expectation and I just didn't buy into any of it, um, which meant a very rapid decline of our relationship 
Did you think he felt like he was losing control? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And how did he how did he cope with that? Uh, that's when things went from low level to high level toxic. Mm-hmm. The mind games, the mind messing, the really vicious, vicious words and personal attacks to just put me back in my place. And to be honest, I don't even think I had an awareness of just how wrong it was. It was so my normal. And I excused unexcusable behaviour with, well, he hates his job. He's so stressed. He is the main income earner. So, you know, that is a lot of pressure on somebody. Well, he's just that way. He just likes things that way. He does get stressed when things are a mess. And because it was so slow that it's like there needs to be a point where you just go, how did we get here? What? You talk to me like, what? And I let you? Like, mm-hmm. and it's that awareness and that, that realising how messed up things were took probably two years. So what then was the breaking point? Obviously you've kind of hit the crest of the the mountain with this, you know, ongoing relationship that's become more and more toxic the longer you've been in it. Mm. The end of it, what led to the demise? Well, I could not work out why I was so miserable. I mean, I had a beautiful home, maintained meticulously. Um, Mm -hmm. I had amazing children that I loved. I was doing a job that I loved. I'm content with simple things like what the hell is wrong with me that I am so miserable and I went to see a counsellor myself and within 10 minutes of sitting down she cut me off mid-sentence and I and she said I need to inform you you are in an abusive relationship and I was like what? No, no. See, you must be just, because you're only hearing my side of the story. He's, he's not even here to like give you his side. And this is just a guy thing. Like guys just don't get how, um, you know, a person might need to be spoken to politely. <laughs> this is where I was at. Like I was actually excused it all and just thought that she got totally the wrong end of the stick. But there was also a massive amount of denial because I didn't want that to be my reality. I was not ready to deal with what that meant because there was no way I was going to be with someone who was abusive. And if I wasn't going to be with him, that meant my children were going to be the children of a divorce. And I was not ready to deal with that. Uh This was not what your life was supposed to look like. Exactly. How did you process it? I'm sure it wasn't you didn't go home from that appointment and pack your bags and walk out the door. So no. what what then happened? At that point I knew that the reason why I was unhappy was because our relationship was pretty funky by that point. Mm-hmm. And I just decided that in effort in an effort to maintain this family unit, which I felt really strongly about. Um, I would forego what I need out of the relationship with him 
to maintain what I felt was really important for my children and that being the, the family unit being together. And to make that more tolerable, I would just start doing things that actually bring me happiness but from outside. So if I'm not going to get it from him, I will catch up with a friend. And I'm not talking like go off and do extravagant things but just little things that fill me up. Um, so, yeah, that's how, how I went about things for the next two years. Wow. So for two years after some, someone had told you that you're in an abusive relationship, mm-hmm. you stayed. Yeah. And there was he, he was constantly threatening to leave throughout probably the last five, six years of the relationship because that was my that was the sword to my heart. I was doing everything possible to maintain this family unit. So if he threatened to break that up, I would do anything to make him stay and make make smooth the waters so I was constantly stopping the simmering pot from boiling over and that means you you do preventative behaviors and you cut in and you so I was I was brilliant and at maintaining his mood by doing things that just really I shouldn't have been doing and so what was what was crunch point then two years down the track when did you say I can't There was an occasion about 18 months before we separated where he had become really mad about something. This was not an unusual thing, but on this particular occasion, he was like, that's it, I've had enough, which was his go-to line. And for once, I just didn't respond. Normally, I'd run after him and keep keep it all calm because I wouldn't want there be any arguing in front of the children. I'd be having these quiet discussions and trying to, you know, keep it all under control. And I just didn't go after him. In fact, I remember distinctly I was washing the dishes and I just kept washing the dishes. And he reappeared from the bedroom and repeated the same mantra again, waiting for the reaction. And I was just non-responsive. And then he went off to the bedroom. And I can hear all this banging around in the in the wardrobe and I still didn't come. And there was more and more elaborate banging, you know, purely to get my attention. In the end, he ended up coming out to the kitchen table right by where I was washing the dishes with a bag that he was packing, but he was packing it for my benefit. It was like watching a five-year-old having a tantrum going, that's it, I'm running away and packing this stuffing their teddy into their bag and and then looking up going, so have you stopped me yet? Are you coming to get me yet? Go on. And he just kept pausing. Like he'd throw stuff in the bag and then pause for a reaction. And for some, I don't know what happened to me that day. I just, I just didn't care anymore. And I actually remember standing there thinking, if you don't want to be here, go. So I didn't stop him. And then he was so mad that I didn't stop him. And then he, and I'm thinking, is he actually leaving? Like, is he actually doing this? And then he went and grabbed his work tops on hangers and carried his bag and his work tops went through the kids playing in the family room, didn't say goodbye to them and stormed out and got in the car. And I just stopped washing the dishes going, oh, my God, is he actually going? And then the roller door popped and he left. And I was like, oh, my God. God he's left and of course I wanted to burst into tears but the kids are right there and I just went into 
mum management mode. I was like, right, I've got to prepare dinner. I've got to get the kids in bed. And I think I'm going to have to start working full time now. How am I going to manage this? What furniture is he going to want? I was already splitting furniture in my head. Did you feel grief or loss or did you feel a sense of relief at that point? Which way was your head going? I was just in manage mode. So you didn't you didn't let yourself emotionally no. go ahead one way or the other. You just, yeah. you know. So yeah. we had dinner at the table and Dad had gone to a friend's house that night. Yeah, that's just what I said. I didn't make anything more elaborate than that. And I bathed the kids, even though I'm wanting to burst into tears, but I just bathed the kids and popped them into bed. And then I got into bed and I was like, oh, my God, he's actually left. And there was a sense of relief, really. Mm-hmm. And then he messaged me to say, I can't believe you've done this and now I have to spend all this money staying in a hotel and I'm, I'm withdrawing all this money out of the bank account because I have to pay for things and da, da 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 And I was like, okay, which was, of course, not the response that he anticipated. Mm-hmm. And then I had a message that was, I'm sitting by the beach contemplating life and, I don't know, something or other. And I was like, non-responsive. And then I was lying there in bed and it was only about 10.30 and I heard the roller door pop. And I'm like, is he home? And he came in, he chucked his bag in the wardrobe and got into bed like nothing had happened. (gasps) And the next morning he woke up and it was like the events had not taken place. The money was not in the bank account, mind you, but clearly he was not staying at a hotel. And that night when he got home from work, he was looking at real estate and wanting to buy a bigger house. As if nothing had happened and we're back to normal family life and what's our next acquisition going to be? Yeah. Wow. So then how did you come to the point of being apart from him? I had been asking him to see a marriage counsellor for literally five years and eventually I said, it got to the point where I said, look, this is so dysfunctional. If you won't see a marriage counsellor, I'm out. And that was when he finally agreed to see a marriage counsellor. So we went to see uh, one together who was a male and I really wanted it to be a male because with that previous counsellor, it was a woman and I didn't want him to feel ganged up on or that it was just chicks don't get it or something, Mm -hmm. I don't know. And we met with him and within about 20 minutes he he had listened to us talk a little bit and he basically summarised what I couldn't find the words for and it was just so overwhelming and refreshing to have a man validate and understand what I was saying because I had been saying it to him and it was like I was talking another language to my husband. But when I said it to the counsellor, he understood and I just burst into tears. It was it was such an overwhelming thing to be listened to. And we went to see that counsellor over the course of about four months and he, my husband at the time, was on his best behaviour during that time and he was 
like the person I met. He was on fire with being awesome and amazing and all the things that I had fallen in love with. But I knew that this was, there's a cycle to this behaviour. It becomes a very predictable thing. It's great for so long, but it's it's too great. It's like not maintainable. And then there's the rapid demise and then it gets horrendous and then you start again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had said there were things that I was needing to communicate in our sessions that I was petrified of saying. And I was petrified because I thought if I say it, I might screw up an amazing relationship because I've got it all wrong or because of where I'm at or because I'm in a bad place. And once I've said it, I can't unsay it. So I had said to him at the time, I said, look, I need to go and see the counsellor myself. I've got some things I need to just process and get my thoughts out and I need to do that with him without you there. And because of with the code with marriage counselling, you can't see a couple and then see them individually unless both agree. So that was, and he said that that was fine, so that was good. And I went along for my one-on-one and within 10 minutes he cut me off mid-sentence. It was it was like a repeat of that other counsellor. He said, I have to inform you, you are in an abusive relationship. And I was like, could this wow. be a repeat of history any closer? Like the, mm-hmm. the timing into sitting with him, the way he cut me off mid-sentence, the words he used, and I just was like, oh, my God, are you going to be that friend that, you know, when you have a friend who will not listen, don't go back to that guy, they're no good for you, stop doing drugs or whatever the message is that you're trying to say with love to a loved one Mm -hmm. and they just can't hear it. Am I going to be that person? And I was ready to hear it. It was like I had set enough roots down to actually be able to stand up on my own now. And I got home from that session and everywhere I looked in the house, there were, it was just stories attached to everything that were toxic, dysfunctional and just so wrong. And I was seeing, it was like I was seeing how toxic they were for the first time. That's phenomenal that you can walk back into your life with a different lens or a different filter after hearing something like that and and see something clearly that, like you said, the simmering pot for 15 years had been leading up to this point. Yeah. And now for the very first time, it's like you're seeing it all fresh, yeah. seeing it all new. Yeah. And there was no way I was sticking around. So how soon after that did you go? Um, there was probably about eight weeks I slept on the couch. Kids mm-hmm. would, would have had absolutely no idea that that was going on. Uh, we continued with marriage counselling and I um, had said, well, not marriage counselling, but counselling to address how we separate. So at, I'm assuming then you had, you'd said to your then husband, I'm done, I'm out. Yeah. And I'd said it in the safety of a counselling session mm-hmm. because things had got to a, a dynamic where it was so 
messy between the two of us and there was behaviour that didn't match the scenario, it left me with a really unsettled feeling in my stomach and I just felt like I was living with a psychopath at the time. He was too jovial, too all okay with all of it, when in reality his life is falling apart right now. Like this is actually the time to be mad as all hell. This is the time to be grumpy. And it just didn't match. So there was no outward indicator of where he was at in his mind. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I felt really uncomfortable around him at that time um, and not terribly safe. He had not exploded yet. For the man who's explosive, like, this is way too calm. So when he actually loses it, what is that going to look like? Yeah, you're really going to cop it. If, yeah. You know, if he can have those other reactions to a bit of mess on the bench at the end of the day. Yeah. What on earth could this life-changing event possibly yeah. manifest itself as? This concludes part one of Jacinta's story and part two will continue next week. Uh, as I wasn't part of this interview, this is the first time for me hearing Jacinta's story. Um, I think there are two quite distinct but overlapping themes in Jacinta's experience. One of toxic or well, technically abusive in this case relationships, which is mostly what you've heard about this week. And one of our relationship to our belongings, which is where we end up next week. And the parallels between these two themes is quite obvious in the story. So we'll see you next week where you'll be further enlightened. But before we go, we've just got Tara's challenge of the week that she's going to talk about. So this week for your declutter challenge, we want you to tackle your everyday cutlery. So we suggest opening your cutlery drawer and taking everything out. Give it a good clean out and clean out any containers or trays that you might keep your cutlery in. And then just put back into the drawer those things that you use if you've got things that are chipped or broken or you can't remember using, think about letting them go. Maybe you could give them to a charity store or similar. And if you also have special occasion cutlery, consider if there's somewhere else in your house that you might be able to store it so that this top drawer stays really neat, tidy, easy to access and you can find what you're looking for. We'd love you to let us know how you go with decluttering your cutlery drawer. So be sure to let us know via Facebook or Instagram. Share your success with us so that we can celebrate it. And we might even put up a sneaky pic of our cutlery drawers too, if you're lucky. Thanks for joining us. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please consider subscribing or leave a review or rating. Please feel free to tell your friends about us if they too would like to be uncluttered. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us at beuncluttered.com.au or via Facebook and Instagram or on our personal pages at clearspace.net.au and basklifecoaching.com.